This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Rechte Neckfahne mit dem linken Fuß. Bringt den Ball auf den zweiten Pfosten. Tische! Tor! 1-0 für den VfL Bochum! Da draußen ist der Ball frei! Und jetzt ist er drin! Jetzt ist er drin! Und hier ist Botzen, macht das Tor! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast, your home for everything. German second division. I'm your host, Matthew Karagic. It is a pleasure to have your company once again, and there is plenty to digress after a chaotic Match day 24, we'll be covering all the angles from Bielefeld going six points clear at the top, Stuttgart and Hamburg stumbling, but also at the bottom of the table with all Nuremberg, St. Pauli and Hanover and Dinamo Dresden winning and that epic 4-4. We're also going to answer your topic questions, but more importantly, we are going to take the step outside the side of Bundesliga and talk about the protests that have been happening within German football. Joining me today, as always, is our favourite by an absolute country mile, uh, no offence to everyone else, the wonderful Eva Lottie Ball. Eva, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm I'm very good, thank you. And without further ado, we should get started with your Armenia Bielefeld. Uh, a 1-0 win over VNV Spartan. And as we will mention in a moment about the other results, six points clear at the top now, Fabian Klaus scoring his 16th goal of the season. Um, but it, it would be fair to say, or unfair to say, actually, Eva, that uh, your football club has uh, taken a fair bit of criticism by the way they play the game. And yet it's a result-driven business and it's another three points for uh, for your boys. Well, I think it was a really, really difficult game on the weekend. Um, especially the first half, Wien showed a lot of good qualities. Um, this is what Fabian Klose said before um, seeing Rüdiger Rehm returning to the Alm. Of course, he said he was a bit afraid um, of how the game was going. And you, you can see that this league is absolutely crazy because Wien really had good chances. I think they were a bit unlucky, especially in the second half when they just hit the post very, very closely. Um, but I think the thing is that Bielefeld at the moment, uh, something that wouldn't have happened like one or two years ago, um, they they just managed to always find that last percent to, to score. Um, and you have to have that quality as well. And this is what, especially in the last two games against Hanover as well, really... Uh, save them the three points uh, and it's something that the the other clubs don't have I mean we now have 50 points um, the only club that had more than 50 points in the last four years that went up was um, RB Leipzig um, and they didn't even went up as as champions I think Freiburg did so you can see that this should be enough to actually um, get promoted but of course they're especially the March now coming up is really difficult months for Minia. It's the Stuttgart away, then it's home in the same week as as um actually, which is a bit weird. At home at against Osnabrück and then away against 
has fall. So a bit tricky, but I think it's kind of the, the month of, of truth, as we call it here. And really, really good to see Sven Chiblop back on the pitch after 490 uh, days of not playing for us. And uh, I was really surprised by his performance, actually. He was quite quick on the pitch, quite good. Um, he might be an asset for the other games. Never thought I, Never thought I would say this. Yeah, he is a, a football romantics kind of football player. Um, what I will say, though, is uh, the goalkeeping in this game was was fantastic. Ortega, on multiple occasions, made some really good saves. What what Van did quite well is when they played um, with tempo, um, they really caught out the, the Bielefeld defence on a number of occasions. And they had some really good opportunities. I think uh, Schaeffler had at least... Two or three, same with uh, Jirai, who who may have hit the post, um, but that was saved by Ortega initially. So I think Vayan could be very happy with the performance, and in the end, it doesn't really matter how you play sometimes. As long as you get the three points, um, that's really all that matters, and fair play to Armenia Bielefeld. Let's move on then to the teams below them, below Armenia, that's just completely filled to bits. That's Stuttgart and Hamburg. We'll start with uh, De Swabian's 2-0 away defeat at Greuther Fert. Uh, if you take a sample size of about 10 games, they've only won, I want to say, twice. And that was the lucky win against Bielefeld. And if we're honest, it was very lucky. And the 1-0 away win at Bochum, which Bochum basically handed the game on, on a platter. Um they have really struggled away from home and they were, I think, fair to say, Eva, it, it may have been one of their worst performances, not only under Pellegrino Matarozzo, but of the season. Yeah, I think everything from minute one to minute 90 was awful. Uh, I, I was really negatively surprised, you could say, of how they played. Um kind of back to Tim, Tim Walter days uh, I thought they were better mentally and technically better under, under Pellegrino Matarazzo in the past couple of games although as you uh, mentioned they already struggled against Bochum um, and yeah for Stuttgart with uh, yeah, with a team that is worth over 60 million um, you might want to expect something more. Having likes of Daniel Didavi, Mario Gomez, Hamadi al Okay, of course, um, people like Kempf as well as um, uh, Bart Stuber are still missing out, but still you should be able to replace those kind of players. And I, I have the feeling that they really did. And, and I kind of have the feeling they're really underrated um, Kreuterfeld a bit um, I mean Bielefeld won with four goals to two but still they were struggling from time to time because it is a really good team especially at home and I think um, Stuttgart wasn't really ready for this and I mean this is the, their <coughs> sixth def um, defeat this season they have one more defeat than HSV has so kind of worrying because that going forward is might be a bit too much. Yeah, they've actually been quite guilty this season of not taking a fair few teams uh, seriously. Uh, you could put the Sandhausen game on match day 15. 
Um, even, obviously, the third game, you know, Borkham to a, a large extent. Uh, and, of course, the, who could forget the V-Spartan game at home where they were, you know, they may have dominated the game. But, you know, again, um, it, it's so rare you talk about a team that scored 40 goals this year like um, Stuttgart have, but you would say that they are almost, with what they have, to actually have a deficiency scoring goals. Sounds ridiculous. I would be the first to admit that. But it's the expectations of a team that has a massive budget, huge wage bill compared to its opponent, most of the opponents in the league, and the fact that they're getting beaten comprehensively uh, is saying a lot. I would say that Kerbal again was very good, uh, and he had he was of no fault for either goal. Um, so that's you know, he's obviously found the confidence to be really good. But yeah, it, it is all brewing up to what is going to be a massive Monday night game. Uh, which I am pretty confident I will be covering. Uh, so there will be a match analysis for that. So, um, yeah, I would say this, though. If Bielefeld win, they go nine points clear. Um, and not only would Stuttgart and, say, Hamburg uh, be off the pace, but they will fall into the clutches of a bunch of other teams. We should get, we should have touched on Hamburg. Uh, they were comprehensively beaten by Erzgebirge Auer, three goals to nil, um, oh boy, uh, there's not a lot of good you could say about this game, um, and really the change, the the real turning point of the game was the Gideon Young sending off. Uh, he was given a second yellow card for a dive to try and win a penalty. I guess we should discuss this because at, this does cause a lot of conjecture. Uh, Eva, what's your thoughts? Do you think it was a, a bookable offence? Well, he basically takes off before there's any our player running towards him um and in times of var if you have a yellow card already this is very stupid um i mean we can discuss how this should be handled in any way but i mean if you a professional football player playing one of the biggest clubs in Zweite Bundesliga or in German football in general. You should be experienced enough to not take a dive like this um, with a yellow card already in your books. And although it's one of the probably most stupidest being sent off in history, um, I think it's deserved. And you can't really... For me, you can't really... Yeah, take this the wrong way how the referee handled the situation for me dives are one of the stupidest things you can do in in, in a football game at all um, looking at you Neymar but um, <laughs> I think it's good that it's it should be handled like this always not only with a second yellow card but just a really strict way to just see okay this is a dive you get a yellow and that's it yeah, I loved it. I think not as a neutral. I'm not picking sides here, but I, I love the way that it was interpreted. And we, admittedly, and as in we, as in me, critiqued the ref, <laughs> the officiating from last week's game, uh, including the Darmstadt Nuremberg game. But if someone is, and I and I don't lightly use the word cheat, but when someone is trying to cheat or con the referee into making a decision in their favour. Um, I, I think it's a great decision. 
It's it's such a blatant dive. And as you said, Eva, why, why would you take the risk when you're already booked? And it basically put Hamburg out of the game. Holscheid scored twice in the last 15 minutes. Game over. And a vi- not only... Okay, it wasn't bad in the sense that Stuttgart lost, so that's fine. But now there are a bunch of teams that are on their heels. One of those who, who many weeks ago, we were definitely concerned that they were in a little bit of trouble with relegation. But four consecutive wins and Darmstadt are very much long shots, but they are in some way in the mix. 2-0 win over Heidenheim. This game was, uh, well, convincing to say the least. Uh, Sudar Dursen with his 11th goal of the season on 11 minutes. And Matthias Honsack, who they brought in from RB Salzburg, played at Kiel last season, was very good. Has dealt with injuries a lot this season. He gets his first goal of the season for them. Um, Eva, it's a it's a surprise. I think we're all surprised. But if we look back at where I think a good number of us had them, this is kind of the position in the table we expected them to be. Uh, what why has changed? Because they don't. It's fair to say they don't play attack very um, attractive football. It's quite pragmatic. But uh, as we said with Bielefeld. If you're picking up results, you, you you're kind of not too worried about how the football was being played, but more or less that you, you're picking up three points. Yeah, I think they, especially they scored very early in the game, and um, this is kind of how Haydn I'm actually used to play and win their games. Just have one or two very good chances in the game, score them, and you, you're done with the rest of it. And Darmstadt, I think nobody really expected them, as you said, um, <laughs> as neither to to overachieve like this. Um, I think they're kind of redoing what Heidenheim did the past years, as well as Regensburg or even Armenia two years ago, where they ended up fourth. Um, it they really they start to really yeah challenge Hamburg as well as um, Heidenheim and Kiel or even Fürth um, for for those for this place for the third place as well as for the fourth which is kind of like the really challenge the upper three and um, yeah Heidenheim I'm not really impressed by their performance in 2020 although they got the win in that really kind of schlammschlacht as we said last week against against Kiel um, they're not really continuing the good work they did in the first half of the season so they might lose their spot up the table yeah they were very poor and if there was anything you could take out of this game from Heidenheim they really missed Tim Kleinitz who missed the game um, yeah they his importance to the setup of that team is pretty noticeable um, and they just lacked any sort of energy and cohesion uh, so that's something Heidenheim will need to get back when they play Karlsruhe Darmstadt will host Bochum uh, this weekend let's take a quick break and on the other side as we have done for the last few weeks we need to look at the bottom of the table there are many winners actually in the bottom half of the table and we'll take a look at those in just a moment It was a big match day for those at the bottom of the table. For many, bar a few, picked up maximum points. One of those teams was Nuremberg, St. Pauli, 
Hanover and Dinamo Dresden. We'll talk about those teams first before getting on to the Bochum Sandhausen uh, epic. Um, let's start with the Nuremberg win in Karlsruhe. It was a goal to nil. It was a fortuitous goal, it has to be said. Uh, the corner from Johannes Geis being fumbled by Benjamin Upoff. And Patrick Erash with the goal, his first of the season. It means they are now 13th, thanks to Hanover's win this this um, last night. And it would be fair to say that um, Nuremberg were the better team. They had the better chances, and they did very well considering what happened to them last week. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there were many, many chances or at least some really good chances for them for the likes of Robin Hack, for example um, I still think that sometimes they should use their chances a bit better mm. um, especially um, yeah even as well okay so how do I say that um, Karlsruhe is one of their next opponents so in in table wise so they are in kind of the same situation that they are. So they use all the chances they get. Um, for me, that would have been a penalty. Mm. Mm, like 82 minutes into the game, uh, Schliefler versus Huck, this is a penalty for me. Um, but yeah, they failed to hit the targets. Nuremberg was really lucky with their goal. I think Upov, as you said, looked um not really solid in 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 the situation but yeah for them it's it's a good win massive win as you said especially looking at the other results of the of the match day but i think they're they're they can't really play like this against team like darmstadt for example um because that might be because they use their chances very well and if nuremberg doesn't <laughs> They have like they, their struggle. Yeah, it it was a game that like I watched uh, and covered for football bloody hell. Which uh, if you look on my Twitter or look on their Twitter um, at Matthew Karagic, you will see it if you want to have a look at it. And I extensively looked at set pieces because surprisingly heading into this game, no team had scored more from set pieces than Karlsruhe, which seems unbelievable but I guess when you have that guy called Philip Hoffman who yep we know all about him um, and that was the difference surprisingly was the lack of service that they brought him throughout the game and he basically played an anonymous role they changed to a 4-4-2 from the 4-3-3 to put in uh, a Babacar Gier and actually made didn't make as much of a difference uh, so that's the thing they had 9 shots on goal in the game they failed to hit the target in terms of the penalty, it was pretty pretty obvious. And I think I saw somewhere that Robin Huck himself said that I definitely got him and it should have been a, probably should have been a penalty. But the ref missed it. VAR, for some reason, missed it. But but no take, take away from the result. Nuremberg were the better team and they were worthy of their three points. Another team that was worthy of their three points was St. Pauli. They were dominant in their 3-1 win over uh, Val for Osnabrück. Uh, it was a real tactical mastermind from uh, Jos the Boss, who has not had that said about him uh, too often this season. It means that it's, well, it's true. Well, they now go level on points with 
Osnabrück, the goals coming from Hank Verman, Vladimir Sabota, and Dimitrios Diamantakos. And I think the one thing that is is really almost notable now over the last few weeks um, is A, Marvin Knoll has been, he was brilliant in this game, by the way, uh, but his influence was more important. But also, the, the, the move to play two up, uh, up top is really starting to work for St. Pauli. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think especially uh, the the first half was really dominant from them. Um, I really like their their way of playing. You could see how much Knoll really changed. It was the first time he he was in the lineup since match day seventeen. Really good call. I didn't really understand why he did not play that much. I think he's really really crucial player for St. Pauli. Um, yeah, for them, it's a bit unlucky that Hank Fairman will miss a couple of games now due to injury. Um, but yeah, it's for them, it's all, as well good performance that not only Fairman's goal, but uh, Subota and Yaman Takas as well. So, kind of the mixture is really what brings them forward at the moment. And yeah, huge, huge win for them. They took all the um, derby. derby Joyce into this game, which wasn't like this in the past couple of years. You kind of called it the, yeah, um, the derby, yeah, outsides or what, whatever happened after that was always losses or defeats or just really, really poor games following. So this is different now. So kind of the derby curse was lifted. So yeah, huge win for them. And Osnabrück was, I think, really poor. They could have had a penalty after 56 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, really weird scene as well in the, in the box. I think they were. It went on for like 30 seconds. Zang probably couldn't manage to get the ball out of the box. <laughs> Osnabrück couldn't really manage to take a shot on the goal. So that was really weird. Yeah, it's actually we we, we should touch on Osnabrück just a little bit. Their one and only goal coming from Bashkim Majani. They uh, have really fallen off a cliff, uh, winless in the last seven, and now, from what seemed like a position of comfort, even they are very much in this scrap for, for whatever reason, just nothing seems to be working for them. Yeah, that's uh, the choice of the Zweite Bundesliga. You can't really be safe um, if you have have a good season so far. Um, we spoke about it in the past weeks. They kind of have a down at the moment. I'm pretty sure they will come up again. I just hope it's not in two weeks when we play them. Every other point, of course, but please not in two weeks. Um, yeah, um, they seem to struggle a bit in in the past couple of games. Not really easy games coming their way. Um, they host Wiesbaden on, on Friday night. Um, not easy game per se. Um, so especially looking at how Wiesbaden played uh, against Armenia, so that can be a really tough game. They really have to pick up points. The league is very tight. We have four clubs that have twenty nine points. Uh, so nobody's really safe until now. So from I I would say from fourth or fifth down. Um, so really really tight and clubs really have to look out. Absolutely. Let's move on to Hanover. That was the game from last night, uh, from the time of recording this on a, a Tuesday. Uh, 3-1 win for Hanover. Goals from John Gadetti, his first of the season. Same with Philip Ox. 
Hendrik Vinet maybe scoring one of the more fortuitous goals where his shot was parried onto the post by uh, Ioannis Gilios and then the ball spun back and into oh the, across the line. Edgar Prib trying desperately to claim the goal. Not yours, big boy. That is for Hendrik Vinet's seventh of the season. Now, even we were talking about this off here. Admittedly, I didn't actually get to watch much of the game. I only watched the highlights uh, whilst waiting for an in, for a job interview, uh, internship interview. Sorry, um, but all signs were very positive. And would you suggest that it may be their best performance, not only under Keenan Kokach, but of the season? Um, as I said off air, I was really, really surprised, or not surprised. I saw them play against Aminia, of course, and against Ham. Hamburg, um, they kind of keep up the good work and finally got points out of it. Um, it kind of looked after the um, after key level that it was Hamburg all over again or plenty other games this season where they took the lead and bottled it in the end. Um, but they they had a lot of chances. I think this is kind of the problem of Hanover throughout um, throughout the past couple of games. If they take the lead. The chances they get or they have afterwards, they use not really good uh, or in a, in a matter that is that you have the feeling they really want this goal. I said it as I said uh, of of recording of record. Um, there are three or four chances where they were more or less free in front of the goal and didn't really shot had a good shot on target. And so it kind of looked like this would cost them all three points. But, um, yeah, I think he was a bit yeah, light on defending uh, last night. Um, kind of have to watch out a bit. We said they were doing well in the past couple of games. Now they have two defeats in a row. Have to look out a bit, but um, I'm confident they won't get out. Yeah, they have Furt, as in Kiel do, uh, Hanover, big game at Nuremberg on Friday night. Let's go to Dresden. They may be at the bottom, but they took a step in the right direction with a 2-1 win at Jan Regensburg. Uh, after Eric Vekesa's opening goal on 63 minutes, Dresden really got their act together. Patrick Schmidt, who was brilliant once again, uh, playing on the right of midfield this time, getting the equaliser. And uh, Simon Makinjok, I hope I pronounced his name right. I apologise if I didn't. Uh, getting his first goal as a Dinamo Dresden player. What a massive win it is for Dresden. They have, as I think we, it's, we've mentioned on many occasions, it's been a really difficult season for them. The Bochum loss the week before was a tough one. And when things looked like they were going pear-shaped, they were able to fight back and get the three points here. Yeah, but what I have to say is I think they were really, really lucky that they uh, didn't concede a goal in the first half thanks to uh, to Paul in the, in the goal um, of Dynamo Dresden things were some really really good chances but um, as you said they they looked only awake after after conceding the goal um, and two goals in the, in the space of seven minutes uh, yeah took got them the the win um yeah I they this time, although they they were the better team in a couple of games throughout the season, didn't get any points out of this. This time, so it was uh, the other way around. 
really, really huge points, um, as you said, especially seeing that um, some other teams around them won on the weekend, but also the likes of Cards who are losing. Um, so that took them a bit closer to safety. Um, so yeah, really, really huge win. It's n- not a really easy game for them against our. Although as we said in the past, our is uh, really good or um, away from home. So that might be a chance for them to get another three points. Yeah, and derby games are generally cagey affairs. So fair to say that the atmosphere will be. Uh, something special, as is the case in, in most of those games. Uh, let's move on to that epic eight-goal eight thriller game that had three penalties um, in the game. And I think it is would be fair to say, without going through the goal scorers... Well, actually, we should, because that would be unfair. Bloom's hat-trick. Uh, OC 2-2 made it 4-2. Uh, Julius Baeda had a brace in this game, but the two goals uh, in the final ten... We're both penalties, both handballs. Um, I feel like we've seen this before, Eva, with Borkham. Actually, it has happened because they've played in three games that have ended three all at home. Um, they just can't get in their own way. They really can't, Eva. It's amazing how they lost. Well, they eventually, this will feel like a loss. Um, and yeah, what it could have been, the vital three points, had they held on. Yeah, I think they were really, really good, especially in the first half. Um, those two goals um, coming off Danny Bloom. Of course, the first one was a penalty as well. Um, after Denise Arish was fouled. Um, yeah, were looked really good. Then they got um, just right before the second half, uh, as his uh, Julius Biata. Uh, two very good goals, first two goals for him this season. Um, but I have to say, I was, I think Bochum showed some really good football. But it's if you look, as you have mentioned, that the last two goals are penalties. Um, the last one is definitely one. I'm not really sure about the first one though. Um, once again, I said it off record. Um, he more or less is, yes. Standing with his back to the ball, to the shot, um, he had his his arms are very tight on, on his body, so that's not really a handball for me. Um, the second one definitely is. I don't know what um, Lucia's hand is doing up there in the air, but yeah. And as we said plenty of times this season, Bochum's. Bochum scoring goals is not the problem. They have 40 goals. This puts them in, yeah, on the shooting place with Stuttgart, third best offense in the league. <laughs> and if you look how far down they are, they, there's no other team be like around them that has scored that many goals. But the problem is, is the defense. Um, of course, if two goals are coming off penalties. Uh, that that is really a bit of taste to it, but um, yeah, don't really get the defending ones again in this game as well. Yeah, it was crazy. What I will say though is, is our good friend Johnny Walsh, the OG of the Spider Bundesliga podcast, may have had a part to play in this game uh, with a good old-fashioned jinxing effort when you claim that Bochum is going to win at four-two. To be fair, 
you would expect any team to win when they're 4-2 up with about 20 minutes to go. But uh, how wrong you could be, uh, especially as Borkham have shown this season. They've, given up, they've conceded 45 goals this season. It's extraordinary. Uh, at least they are good to watch for a neutral. I couldn't imagine how many heart attacks some of their fans have had this season with the way they have played. Um, let's take our final break. And on the other side, it's time to get serious. The matter of the protesting within German football, and, of course, your topic questions on the other side of this. This section of the podcast, both Eva and I feel very strongly about, is the incidents that have happened over the weekend in the Bundesliga. Uh, this, of course, was at the catalyst of the Hoffenheim and Bayern Munich game, which saw referee Christian Dingert remove the players from the field of play uh, for a period of time before returning and... The fans were treated to one of the more bizarre final 15 minutes where the players were literally passing it to each other uh, as if they were having a lazy kick around in someone's backyard. The, Of course, the incident itself uh, between the Bayern Ultras and Hoffenheim CEO uh, Dietmar Hopp. Uh, it's a situation that has caused a lot of friction between the DFB and the Ultra scene in Germany and... Uh, I'm going to leave this to Eva to, to discuss, uh, and I'll chime in when I can, but I feel Eva is far more equipped to talk about this. So, um, uh, Eva, I, I guess the best thing, best place to start is, is how you feel about the entire situation. Well, uh, I prepared a little text for this just to sort my thoughts about this. Um, so what I wanted to start off with is... Um, Calling somebody a son of a whore um, is never okay, uh, as well as putting someone's face um, in a bold eye. I don't want to just justify such behavior in any way, um, but it has to be said that those kinds of insults are not just emerging in German football or in football in general, and not just concerning someone like Dietmar Hopp. Um, as well, what we read in the couple or past couple of days or weeks, um, that those kinds of insults are putting on the are uh, being put at the same level as the racial motivated murders in Hanau, um, and this is just a disgrace to the victims of this horrible, horrible, yeah, act. Um, Timo Werner has been called the age word, word, as we say in Germany, by a number of fans, um, from Schalke to Hoffenheim as well. And Hoffenheim fans have openly insulted Freiburg fans in numerous ways. For example, putting their logo into a bullseye. Um, the re reason why this is escalating in a way that leaves many fans in a bit of way is that the media and many higher officials are just seeing what they want to see, but you've got to see the bigger picture here. Um, I want to start off by saying that Dietmar Hopp is not a football romantic for me by pushing his home team to the Bundesliga. Um, he's not a poor old nice guy that many media outlets in Germany have portrayed him in the past couple of days. Uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, who stood by Hopp's side like a best buddy on the weekend, said in 2008, where are the 109 years of history in Hoffenheim? Because Hoffenheim has the year number um, 1899 in the club's name. Um, he criticized the club himself. Um, this is all forgotten in 2020, apparently. Um, what we heard yesterday 
Bayern established an anti-hate commission, uh, which is quite funny hearing how they talked about former players on the likes of Juan Bernat or Mesut Özil in the past couple of years. Um, so the the question that is asked by many many fans or many media outlets is so why is this issue coming up now? Um, so let's start off by saying that after many years, the DFB, the German Football Association, promised to suspend one of their highly questionable rules in 2017, which are collective punishment. Um, especially Borussia Dortmund was affected by this being banned from going to Hoffenheim away games. Um, Hop not really a big fan of Dortmund, installed some kind of static noise and microphones for the BVB fans to control and to, yeah, detect what they're singing and saying. Um, something that pushed the criticism towards him further down the line. Um, so he's not really a highly rated person in the German ultra scenes, never has been. So the whole, as media outlet said in the past couple of days, the Corsa hop uh, is now is um, came back to attention because before being fans are effectively banned from the TSG ground for two years after once again insulting hop in December 2019. This is collective punishment. So the DFB broke their word once again um, and not for the first time. So the protests started again from uh, Dortmund itself, from Borussia Mönchengladbach, and most recent from uh, Bayern Munich, as Matthew said in his intro. And uh, the reason why the game was nearly cancelled on the weekend was a banner saying, um, same old, same old, the DFB breaks his words and Hop stays a son of a whore. Um, I was highly confused seeing this was the reason the game was nearly abandoned. Uh, um, at the same time, um, in the derby Mannheim against FC Kaiserslautern, former FC car goalkeeper coach Gary Ehrmann was insulted by Mannheim fans in the derby, and there there was no cancelling the game, no abandoning the match whatsoever. Uh, nearly every week, BVB opponents are singing, um, yeah, insults towards uh, the BVB fans. Bibiana Steinhaus. Uh, had to listen to whole chants towards her. As we spoke about it this year already, John Turunoriga was racially abused. And the so-called three steps plan uh, by the UEFA, which is weirdly only coming to German football's attention now, although it exists since 2009, wasn't put into action because referee Harm Osmus didn't hear the chants. Um, so this pr does produce a very bad image on German football. Um, if you're a woman, a normal person, a fan group or person of color, you have to stand those kind of abuses. If you're not white rich man, you get the support of nearly every media outlet and club officials. If you decide as a club to leave the pitch after racial chance towards a player of yours, the game can be ruled against you because there is a certain set of rules clubs have to follow. Um, this is a quote by DFB president Keller on the Weedung weekend concerning Hertha's U16 that went off the pitch and got the um, game against you. Also funny to see Clemens Turner's reaction to this as well. We might want to get Matthew into this um, because he spoke about it off record. Yeah, it's just such a hypocritical stance to take when, you know, he's... Well-known speech uh, in Paderborn, really, where he insults essentially the entire continent of Africa, and and 
you know, that cup game that Schalke played um, the following or a few weeks later or whenever it was, uh, you know, the Schalke fans don't want him there. And they've shown that. Um, it's so it's it it comes off as as just such a hypocritical standpoint for for the club to even take that when you have someone like that who discriminates against all kinds of people in your club like just get him out and then everything becomes far more credible because as when we had Felix on you know he talked about all all, all the stuff that you know the, some of the Schalke fan groups do you know they're very um supportive of, of um you know, people who are gay and, and those of colour, and yet you allow this man in your club in the club. Why? We, you can do better. Um, you can do better. Um, Eva, carry on, carry on about Hop because there's more to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So Hop himself was saying after the game on the weekend that he's being remembered of dark old times. If in Germany we speak of dark old times, we normally mean the Nazi era. So Hop, as a white man, was probably never racially abused, uh, discriminated because of his gender, his religious belief, or any other reason that discriminates minorities. Um, and just to throw this in here, Hop's father was an SA troop leader and although a child can never be responsible for his parents actions or grandparents actions he can't justify his parents doing it or his father's doings either or being remembered of dark old times uh, so what is left to say um germany tumbles into a very dangerous path for german football um especially taking sunday's matches into concern during the game Union Berlin versus VfL Wolfsburg referee Bastian Dunker stopped the game because of a banner that said 2017 abolishment of collective punishment now carrying favour with Hobb taking two steps back fuck you DFB um, Mehmet Duisburg was stopped due to the following banner uh, which I will read out in German and translate later is Hat der Dietmar genug Kohle wird zu seinem Schutz und Wohle von Leuten deren Wort nichts wert mal wieder jemand ausgesperrt um Translated into words to that effect, this means uh, with Hop having enough money for his safety and for his security and well-being, people are being once again banned from stadiums, from institutions or from the DFB who are not keeping their word. Um, some interesting fight side effects as well. Uh, the Schickeria Munich, uh, so the ultra scene in, in Bayern or in, in for FC Bayern München, is... It's actually a really, really good ultra group. They do a lot against racism, homophobia, uh, sexism. They're responsible that their former president, um, uh, who, yeah, who's Jewish or who was Jewish and um, is actually Kurt Landau. So he has now a statue before the stadium. Um, and Kalans Rummenigge wants to yeah take off the fan club status of them as well as thomas muller posting on twitter about this um saying that racism and intolerance has nothing to do in sports when asked um a couple of oh, yeah months ago about the whole Uziel incident that we don't have racism in the stadiums um also interesting to see that hop or the SRP, which is uh, the firm 
Hub founded is a premium partner of DFBN as well as Bayern. So you can kind of see where this is coming from. That is a lot of actions are driven by money. And um, I think this is what we call in Germany kind of double standards. This is what's going on in the stadiums from the DFB. If we cancel every game because someone is insulted in any way, then why was the game carried on yesterday evening um, when there was once again a banner against Hop uh, and then you kind of had step one, so calling out. And then there were chants against, of course, um, Hannover's biggest rival, Eintracht Braunschweig, uh, saying, yeah, well, death and hate for BTSV. Uh, so, yeah, we have double standards in Germany. Um, clubs have to look out. Media look outlets have to look out. I found two very good articles uh, on DW and The Guardian for those who want to do a bit of further reading so we might put them um below the the tweet on this episode so yes thanks for listening <laughs> there are actually a number of really good insights into what's happened um obviously the articles even mentioned from matt ford and andy brassel uh actually ryan tut is also someone else who does a fantastic job articulating what is going on same with uh, Abel Mejeros, Kevin Hatcher. I mean, if it's if it's being covered and and rightfully so, I guess the one thing, I guess that my takeaways from it all is things like some of the language, uh, having hop in the crossfires. I mean, we're clearly crossing a line. There can be. I mean, we can use, uh, I guess, uh, language that doesn't need to be that way just it's it's too much however i i i've in doing some research this and and trying to find a better understanding of of where the ultras are coming from i can see that you know what this man really stands for in football is is almost anti 50 plus one and he he is essentially the anti-establishment with the likes of rb leipzig and he's almost it's almost like he's ripping away uh what makes German football great, which is a a great the fan scene, but also the fact that power is to essentially the people. Um, so it's it's kind of one of those situations where, you know, Hop is the symbol for something far greater than football uh, in such a negative way, uh, and and it, it almost feels like the fabric of German football is being torn apart with what's happening. I think one thing that it's probably been discussed on other podcasts um, is that there needs to be some sort of uh, communication between the ultras and the DFB what makes German football is the fans and they we know that that German football markets that way that you know the German fans are the best in the world no one will do that but you can't strip a basic human right, and that's a right to protest, a right of freedom of speech, and and the fact that you know the DFB have gone as far as to almost, um, to to kind of try and take that away in such a way where the players end up leaving the pitch. Um, there there has to be a better compromise than that, and 
that's why we need to have dialogue. We need to discuss this and and find something that is better for all of us because the real losers from this situation is not the DFB. It's not Hop. Hop's fine. He's got plenty of money. We lose. We deserve better. And we know we deserve better. And, you know, for, for someone who cherishes German football, even though he's never been to the country, you know, it's such a shame to see that, you know, that this is what takes away from everything. There are more serious issues than this one. Hop's not a real issue. Racism's an issue. Homophobia's an issue. Discrimination's an issue. We, we can do better. We can do better. We have two topic questions to answer, but they are almost one in the same. Uh, our first is its first time uh, being asked from uh, Tony Ross at Ross Anthony De. Uh, it says, Guten Morgen. It's, it's, it's morning somewhere in the world. It's not... Um, does, does here. It, yeah, in Germany, here in Australia, it's evening. But... Uh, the uh, does anyone think Bochum will get will be relegated this season, Eva? No, no, I don't think so. I think they will find uh, a way to pick up enough points at the end. Yeah, I agree. They won't go down, but God help their defense. It is just an absolute train wreck. Uh, oh, yeah, nightmarish. And I guess the same is almost said. Uh, Still Penguin at Still Penguin Three. He's like, hello, everybody. Do you see Hanover surviving the relegation battle? Uh, based on what I saw, well, what I've seen over the past few weeks, even though some of the results haven't gone their way, I say, yes, they survive. Eva, what do you think? Totally agree. There we have it. Uh, it's probably dragged over a bit longer than we were, we were expecting, but um, when we have serious issues like this, um, like what is happening in Germany, it's hard not to talk about them. Um, thank you, Eva, for sharing um, your personal viewpoints on the matter and 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 you know being one of many uh, to help educate us on on what's happening in Germany and getting a perspective of someone who you know heavily fa- uh, you know follows a, a football club uh, being on the ground. Ground zero, I guess. Um, we, we appreciate. We always appreciate having you on, but but thank you for, for sharing uh, your your point of view. Thanks for the opportunity to do so. It is always a pleasure. Uh, that's it for for now. Uh, we thank you for listening, um, and until next time, we'll see you next week. Goodbye.